Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Dr. Rick Barth, who's the Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Clemson University. Dr. Barth, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great, John. It's uh, my pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the invitation. It is our honor and pleasure as well. So let's get right to it, Dr. Barth. What can you tell us about Clemson University that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? You know, John, I think initially it's the Clemson brand that brings students uh, to inquire, to learn more about Clemson. And of course, while athletics and the social aspect of the Clemson experience is part of that brand, it's also an academic brand that's grown very quickly over the last several years and a brand that's uh, promoted all across the country by our alumni who are very active in working with us. And once students start looking at Clemson and specifically coming to visit campus, they start to get a sense for the Clemson experience and you know the realness of the Clemson family concept. And I know every university says that, <laughs> uh, but I do feel like that's a real concept at Clemson. Uh, prospective students being on campus see that our students are happy. They feel the energy on campus. They learn about the success of our graduates. And they want that for themselves. And while we have many programs that have premier academic reputations, I think what's unique about Clemson is that although we admit by major, our colleges challenge their students to explore all areas of their academic interest within the college. So it's more like the philosophy of don't tell me what you want to major in. Tell me what you want to do. And that concept I've not seen anywhere else. I've seen that the president university Alabama Huntsville, Chuck Carr always asked students that. I've seen him at recruiting events, but Clemson's the first institution I've really seen to institutionalize that concept. Um, for example, in our College of Engineering, all engineering students start with a general engineering curriculum their first year. 
Uh, they decide what's the fit for them among the 10 engineering majors. They work with the faculty, with the academic advisors. They learn about the type of research they'll do in each major uh, and the possible careers for each major. College of Business has a very similar program that their students complete before selecting a specific business major. This really allows the students to get a better understanding of how each major will allow them to reach their career goals. And you see these type of programs specifically designed to help first year students throughout all of our colleges. So our faculty really engage our students very early. There's a true effort to get them to understand all aspects of their academic program from the very beginning of their first year. And I've worked at, you know, eight, nine different universities. And it's the first time I've really seen this concept done as well as we do it at Clemson. You know, between the support in the colleges, the campus-wide support services for all students that are engaged in caring alumni, you see what is meant when you hear the students talk about the Clemson family concept. And for me, the proof of that um, is that our students stay and graduate. Our four-year graduation rate's over 65%. Our five-year graduation rate's around 84%. And our six-year graduation rate is, you know, bumping up against 90%. So as our students stay, persist, and graduate, they go back to their communities, they promote the university, and I think that's been a big part of what's really driven our application growth over the last couple of years. Well, Dr. Barth, the Clemson brand and the family concept are certainly real things. In addition to all of the data that you shared, I want to share one more statistic. 93% of your freshman class returned, so your retention exactly. rate is 93%, which is truly astonishing and a testament to the great work that you do in your office of undergraduate admissions, but also the great work that the Clemson family does to make sure that your students are happy and want to continue to be at Clemson once they're on your campus. So congratulations on that, Dr. Barth. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for doing your research. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Barth, can you walk us through the overall admissions process at Clemson? Many students and their parents want to know what happens once they hit that submit button. So any insight that you can share, such as whether you evaluate by high school or by region, would be greatly appreciated. Well, John, once a student application's file is complete, uh, we have a couple levels of review. Um, the first review is done by the associate deans and the admissions counselors, as well as by some individuals that uh, have been readers for the university for a number of years that are hired specifically for that purpose at the time we need them. And this initial review is to make sure that there are no errors in the student's application file within our system. And if we have the student's transcripts, we'll cross-reference their self-reported grades and their class rank with their transcripts. Um, they're at a non-ranking school. We create rankings based on the school's profile. So we look at that to make sure it looks accurate based on the student's GPA. And part of our selection index includes the GPA, class rank, and test scores. If the students are not test optional, um, we also review for the test, of course. Um, if they are test optional, there's a little bit more weight put on the class rank. And so that goes into our selection index. And then we just kind of review that to make sure that everything, you know, everything looks right as far as the numbers we're seeing. And while the purpose of this initial review is to make sure the files are accurate and get them moved to committee review, it also provides the opportunity for the initial reviewer to make comments and even make a recommendation for an admission decision at that point if they so choose. So if a student's GPA or rank is slightly below what is competitive, the reviewer can make comments supporting the student based on factors such as the student's activities. Uh, students' personal statement, uh, recommendations if we have them, you know, et cetera. 
So once the first read is completed, the committee selection process has several steps. The first step is an analysis that uses the selection index to automatically put in an admit for a certain level of GPA class rank uh, if more than 100 students in the class and test scores if the student is not test optional or automatically put them in deny if the student's selection index is significantly low. Um, so these classifications are then reviewed in a number of ways uh, by various staff. Uh, but this review is almost exclusively done within the framework of reviewing students within their high school. So the main committee will review all in-state schools and any of the out-of-state schools that have a significant number of applicants. Then the different work groups within the office, which is composed of our admissions counselors, um, they're doing the same review with our out-of-state schools with smaller numbers of students. And each of these smaller work groups then come to the overall committee with their recommendations for changes within the schools they review. And there are a lot of factors to consider during these reviews. For example, since we admit by major, it's much more difficult to get into nursing, a program that's going to admit 90 students versus a program like engineering that's going to admit over 1,000 students. It's also during this point that um, the committee will review the comments from the initial reviewers and uh, look at their recommendations. And the admissions counselors also have an opportunity during this time to come in individually and um, really kind of petition for students that they build relationships with in their territories and work on it that way. And so uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, everything is framed within reviewing within the high school itself. There's a number of reasons for that. When you have 60,000 applications, you have to have wow. a format to review applications. And so that allows us to look at the students uh, within the high school, but it also allows a double check that we're not doing something that's not going to make any sense to those students or not make any sense to that high school guidance counselor. So it's also kind of a check and balance as well. And after that, we release our decisions and uh, go from there. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, we appreciate that overview and the insight. And I'm assuming that if a student's high school, for example, doesn't have class rank, or if a student selects not to submit their test scores, which we'll speak about in just a couple of minutes, sure. other parts of the selection index obviously are weighted more. Is that correct, Dr. Barth? That is correct. And for students that are test optional, um, the data point that is weighted more heavily at that point is their class rank. And of course, we will also then um, do more of a serious review of everything from activities to personal statement and things like that. But as far as the formulaic review of the applications, where you see that weight added without the test is in their class rank. Now, where it gets more difficult is for schools that have low enrollment. And so if, you're, if your graduation class is 30, that rank's not telling us a whole lot. 
So at that point, um, we really dig deeper into the rigor of the curriculum and uh, the history of the students from that school, whether they were successful at Clemson, and then all those data points then go into the uh, selection index as well. Well, again, we appreciate that insight. Thank you so much, Dr. Barth. And of course, Clemson has had tremendous success throughout their athletic programs, and they are truly a lot of fun to watch. Dr. Barth, I was curious, do you work with student athletes on their recruitment, and how does the admissions process differ for student athletes? We do work very closely with the athletic department, and the admissions process itself does not differ for student athletes in that they follow the same process and they have to submit the same materials. Where the process differs for student athletes is that the coaches for the teams do the recruiting. Our counselors do not recruit um, the student athletes. That's really left up to the coaches. Um, the other area that it differs is for non-student athletes. The admission office handles any appeals of an admission decision internally. So we handle that when we get the appeal, we meet, um, and we have a committee within our own staff members and admissions. For student athletes, it's a different committee, uh, which includes faculty and some academic staff from across the campus, and it rotates fairly quickly. And the reason for that is to make sure we disperse it so that there's no one office or one person that pressure can be put on just because of the history of what has happened at some schools with athletes. <laughs> and then the second purpose of having a faculty heavy um appeal committee for student athletes is to make sure the student can succeed successfully academically and not just athletically at Clemson. And I believe this is one of the reasons you see the high graduation rate of our student athletes. Uh, everybody looks at football, it seems like, is one of the problem areas for, for things, for bad things to happen in student athletics. And, you know, Coach Sweeney's um, graduation rate, it's right, it's right up there with the, with the graduation rate of the rest of campus. So uh, it's something we take very seriously. It's something that in some ways the lessons have been learned the hard way, the right way to do it. Um, but we try to do it in a way that not one individual or one office can be, have undue pressure put on them as far as looking at a student athlete's application. Well, again, we appreciate that insight. That's terrific how you work together on that process. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Barth. And I know that we mentioned the test optional nature of Clemson University, just like many other schools throughout the country. Dr. Barth, can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? John, for our early action period, uh, we had right under 40% of the students apply test optional and right at 30% of our admits for early action were test optional applicants. But while I know students and families will interpret this to mean it's more difficult to be admitted test optional, that is truly a misinterpretation of the data. For example, for Clemson, the early action, if you compare the population of students that applied test optional with the population that submitted their test scores, You'll see that the average GPAs, class ranks, number of honors and AP courses is slightly lower, not significantly, but slightly lower. So the fact that the students were test optional is not necessarily the reason for the difference. There's many data points that go into that. And on the other side of that is the fact that when a student is test optional, their class rank is weighted heavier in the selection index. Thus, an out-of-state student in the top 5% of their class is going to most likely be admitted unless it is just a ridiculously competitive major like nursing. Um, 
while a student that's not test optional but's in the top 5% can actually be hurt by their test score if that test score is below a certain level. For in-state, you can do the same analysis at the top 10%. That in-state student that is test optional, top 10% of their class is going to be admitted. Um, for that stu same student that submits the test, say they submit SAT of an 1160, 1200, that's going to hurt them. So it's, it's, um, it's very, it's an oversimplification to say, you know, Clemson had 40% test optional and only admitted 30% test optional. Um, that's really not the full picture. Well, we appreciate the explanation. And Dr. Barth, what are your thoughts on the future of schools being test optional? Well, John, I feel pretty strongly about this, and I do hope schools such as Clemson will continue to provide students with the option of being test optional, um, as I do believe it provides a path to some very good students that do not test well. And I do think we will have many schools that will continue to be test optional. Uh, however, as you know, we are seeing more and more schools going back to requiring tests and more considering it. Um, for Clemson, this is the decision our board of trustees will make, and they will make it at some point this summer. And so um, there's not been a decision for Clemson as far as fall of 2024, um, but we will have that decision before we open the application for fall of 2024, and hopefully that decision will continue our current practice. Well, we appreciate that, Dr. Barr. Thank you so much. And what is the average profile of the current freshman class? And if a student falls a little lower, what are some of the things that they can do to enhance their overall application? Well, John, 54% of our incoming class were in the top 10% of their class and 80% were in the top 20% of their class. For those that submitted tests to be considered, the middle 50% for the SAT was a 1230 to 1400 with an average around 1340. And for ACT scores, the middle 50% was a 28 to 32 with an average of just under 30. And the average weighted GPA was just slightly over a 4.4. Um, for students that fall a little short, there are a few things they can do. First of all, make sure they put their activities on their application, as this gives us a better picture of how they're spending their time outside of the classroom. For example, we were able to offer a spot to a student that was just below the other applicants from her school because she's the team captain of her soccer and volleyball team. She holds an elected position within her student government, and she has a number of service activities. So while her class rank was a little lower than others we admitted from her school, we had a clear picture of it not being for not having a work ethic. This, this young woman clearly had a strong work ethic and was very motivated. Uh, related to this, if a student has had a semester or year where their grades make a noticeable drop, they need to address that in their personal statement. For example, this past week we were reviewing a file where the student had all A's, only one B her ninth and tenth grade. Then for her junior year, she only had one A and the rest were B's and C's. She did not address that in her personal statement. Her personal statement was actually very good, but it was a missed opportunity on her part to explain why her grades had dropped significantly during her junior year. And at Clemson, we have three pathways to being admitted. Um, there's the fall admit that everyone is familiar with, but we also have what's called a summer start program that allows us to admit a population of students just below the fall admits. And on the Clemson specific questions on the applications, it will ask if the student is open to starting in the summer. If a student marks yes um, to this question, 
and the committee is reviewing them and feels like they are just below a fall admit, marking yes to this question definitely helps them qualify for summer starts. Um, it's also helpful for a student to communicate with their admissions counselor um, for their state and to show that counselor that they are truly interested and committed to coming to Clemson. And, um, you know, with the letter of continued interest type of communications, whether it's an email, card, letter, a lot of times a, a student will send that to me as director or to the president. And that's not just being honest, John, that's not helping them because it's the recruiters in their territories that they need to be building that relationship with. And it's that recruiter, that counselor that's going to come in, as we discussed earlier, and fight for that student in committee review. So also make sure they know who their recruiter is and communicate with that person. Um, and, you know, I don't mean to be ugly about that, but there's no way for me to know 60,000 applicants in the president <laughs> does not get involved in the selection process. Um, and finally, make sure that they apply early action. It's, it's not to say that it's easier to be admitted early action. It's just it's going to give their applicant, that applicant's file is going to, if they get moved forward to regular decision, they're going to be reviewed again. So it gives the committee two shots to review their file and, and discuss that applicant. So I would definitely try to apply early action um, if their credentials are slightly lower than um, what our averages look like. Well, Dr. Barr, thank you so much for that tremendous insight and great advice. First of all, if you need to send a letter of continued interest to send it not to you or the president of the university, but right. to the regional representative, which I'm sure is very simple to find on your website. Yes, on the website, correct. But I also appreciate you talking about the summer program. So if there is a student out there that's a little lower than your mid-50, if they are willing to start in the summer, that may help them. So that's something students right. and parents that you should be looking out for. But also I appreciate when you were talking about the activity sheets in general, you mentioned a student who had an elected position. Uh, she listed a lot of service activities. So anything that you could put on an activity sheet, students that really shows off your work ethic is right. uh, tremendous and very important in the Clemson University admissions process. And also if there should be a dip, take the opportunity to explain it. If there's a reason why you may have dipped a little bit in junior year, explain it. Take that opportunity. Correct, Dr. Barth? Correct, John. That, that's absolutely correct. Well, we appreciate that again. And what percentage of your students are from out of state? And does the application process differ in any way for in-state or out-of-state students? John, we try to keep the out-of-state enrollment at about 35% of our total enrollment. Um, that is because we are a state-supported institution, so we are required to give priority to in-state residents. So while it doesn't change the process, the process is the same whether students in-state or out-of-state, it does mean that getting admitted is more competitive for the out-of-state students compared to the in-state students. Well, thank you so much for that insight, which is also very important because a lot of times a student may not understand why they were deferred or denied, in fact. But exactly. this is an example where Clemson University, they have to keep it at no more than 35 percent of out-of-state students. So that may be a reason why you are denied. It's not anything personal, but just something that the university has to look at as an example. So, again, we appreciate that insight, Dr. Barr. Thank you so much. And of course, visiting campus, if at all possible, is an important part of the overall admissions process. 
So if a student and their families are able to come to campus, what are some questions they should be asking to help them determine whether or not Clemson University is in fact the right fit for them? John, you bring up an excellent point. And when we do our admitted student surveys, the number one factor that impacted their decision to apply, especially for our out-of-state students, was taking the campus tour. And we offer several tours a day, Monday through Friday, and a Saturday tour once a month. First, I'd recommend families plan the tour early as our tour groups do fill up. Um, They can register for our tour on our website and that they try to come during the week as opposed to a Saturday if they can, as they'll be able to see campus at a time when students are very active and get a sense of what campus feels like on a day when classes are in session. The tours are led by current students and there are times when the tour group will be going from one spot to another. And so that's an opportunity, and not every family takes advantage of this, to kind of catch up to the tour guide, because that's a current student, and just ask the simple questions. Why did you decide to come to Clemson? Um, What is your favorite part of being a student at Clemson? And not to shy away from asking the question, what are the things you wish Clemson did better for students? I think that's an important question. Uh, The tours end at Sykes Hall, which is the building that houses the admissions office. So I'd also encourage families to come in after the tour and meet with an admissions counselor. Um, This will allow them opportunity to ask about the admissions process, to ask questions about their major of interest. And since we admit to major, talk to the counselor about the competitiveness of the majors that they may be interested in. If they're on campus during a weekday, I'd spend time walking campus outside of the tour. Once the tour is over, just go out on their own, walk campus, get a feel for whether the student is comfortable being on campus, and they will see our current students everywhere. They'll see them walking between classes. They'll see them going into the dining facilities. They'll, in some cases, students sitting outside studying or talking, and that gives them the opportunity, if they are comfortable to do so, to approach that student and start asking them questions. Um, Not everyone is comfortable doing that, and I understand that, (laughs) but I think our families will find that um, most of our students, if not all of them, are very open to being approached this way and having that conversation. And so that's kind of the way I would direct that, families as they tour. Well, thank you so much for providing great sample questions to ask when on that tour. We really appreciate it. And Dr. Barth, I want to dig just a little bit deeper into your overall admissions process. Do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript, or do you recalculate the GPA using your own calculations? And if so, what do you look for from a student's academic record, and how do you evaluate it? Well, John, we, for the decision process, we use student self-reported grades, and we do, do this in two ways. The first is we require the students to submit the SHAR, which stands for the Self-Reported Academic Record. I know there are a number of our high school guidance counseling communities that do not like the SHAR, and uh, I understand that. I personally understand that. Um, But when you get 60,000 applications, there's really no way to handle that without using the self-reported grades. Um, And the students also report their weighted GPA on the application itself. So to answer your question directly, we are using the GPA indicated on their transcript. In our first level review of their application file, the reviewers attempt to make sure everything looks accurate. So in the most cases, uh, we have the student's transcript as we're doing the evaluation. So it's a very quick cross-reference to make sure the self-reported grades um, match the transcript. 
rarely do we find a student that has put down uh, incorrect information. And on the rare cases that we have, I don't think it was necessarily on purpose. Um, so the process from a validity standpoint works better than I think a lot of people know that students are you know, very honest in the way they self-report their grades. We also highly advise that they have a copy, an official copy of their transcript to make the process much easier and accurate for them as well. Then part of the committee review is looking at the rigor of the student's coursework and depending on the intended major, how did they do in certain courses? Um, the easy example, of course, is engineering. We're looking at engineering students. Uh, we're going to look very closely at their math courses and see how close they are to calculus one and the grades they have made in the courses leading up to that. And, um, you know, calculus one is really the number one indicator of student success as far as engineering. So that's a very simple example for a major that's very easy to talk about, but that's kind of how we use the self-reported grades and then dig into specific courses as far as their intended major. Well, we appreciate the insight and thank you so much for explaining the self-reported academic record. I know that not every college or university has that. So your explanation right. is truly appreciated. Thank you, Dr. Barth. And what are the different ways a student may apply to Clemson? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? This was our first year, John, to have what's called an early action period. And, um, Families will come across the term at early action and early decision. Early decision is binding. You know, you will see this uh, early decision at very highly selective institutions, and that student is committing to go to that institution. Early action is simply put an earlier period where the families get the response, the decision quicker than if they wait to regular decision. So this was Clemson's first year to doing early action, and we did it because our peer institutions and our aspirational institutions were all doing it. So we kind of felt like we had to, to be honest with you. Um, peer so we, it was peer pressure, Dr. It was Martin. peer pressure, exactly. <laughs> um, so this year we had our early action period, October 15th, which allowed us to get our decisions out December 1, and our regular decision deadline was um, January 2nd, and we will have those decisions out March 1st next year. We will keep the early action option at uh, October 15th, and um, that is the actual application date. Materials, SHRAR, test score, so forth, the materials deadline is actually going to be October 21st, so families do have a few days to get everything into us after they submit the application. And then our um, regular decision next year will be January 3rd, materials deadline January 8th, and we have learned from family feedback this year as families are trying to make decision that March 1st is actually too late for a lot of families. So we are moving off that for next year and we will move that to mid-February next year. So those are the two ways that um, students can apply to Clemson and um, kind of what we're doing for the, for the rising seniors next year, kind of the timeline for them. Well, we appreciate that. And do you offer interviews, whether evaluative or informative? And if so, how are they used? And what advice would you offer students who are preparing for an interview? John, we do not offer official evaluative interviews. Uh, we are in several schools visiting after the early action period. And I have personally met with students that were moved forward to regular decision. They requested to do so during my visit. Um, 
as has some of the admissions counselors. In these cases, I'd encourage students to be prepared to discuss their interest in Clemson. And if their area of weakness is clear, such as students, you know, their GPA, be, be willing to talk to us about that um, and the challenges they faced and, you know, their plan for improving that. If the students apply to a major that makes sense to show their work in the form of a portfolio, uh, don't be shy. When, you know, when we're in the school after early actions released, you know, make sure you um, ask to meet with the representative and give them that portfolio. I did that. I was in a school in North Atlanta early January and the um, director of college counseling said, you know, three of the students that you guys moved to their decision would like to meet with you. And I said, great. Um, so while that was not an officially uh, uh, evaluative interview, I did talk with all three students. One of the students, she brought me her portfolio and uh, I was able to present it to the committee last week. And it, um, you know, since we haven't released, I've probably already given out too much information identifying <laughs> uh, how someone could identify this person. Um, just suffice it to say it helped her through the committee review for me to have her work with me and, and show it to the committee. So, you know, while we don't necessarily have formalized interview processes, we are in the schools after those decisions are released. So I encourage students to make an appointment with the reps and just talk to them about their interest in Clemson. If they know where they are weak, uh, talk to the rep about why that has happened and their plan to correct that. Well, that's great advice, and thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Barth. And, of course, the teacher's letter of recommendation, obviously another part of the overall application. Dr. Barth, what are you looking for when reading a teacher's letter of recommendation? John, let me start by um, being clear that Clemson does not require a letter of recommendation for regular admission, but we do require it if the student is applying to the honors program, and therefore most of our students do submit a letter of recommendation from a teacher and a high school counselor is that is our requirement for honors. And what we are looking for is a letter from a teacher that actually knows the student, as silly as that sounds. Um, I cannot tell you how many letters we receive a year from a teacher or counselor that starts off with something like, um, well, I don't teach Joe. I do know he was quite successful in basketball and his math teachers really like him. Okay, that doesn't help Joe any. Um, so the best advice I can give students is to start building relationships with their teachers from the beginning of their ninth grade year and make sure they stay in touch with teachers that they do well in their classes. And when they then approach that teacher that hopefully they've built a relationship with, um, provide the teacher with a simple resume. Sometimes high school students don't really think about going ahead and creating a resume. It shouldn't be over a page long. It should be very easy to read. But when you're going to ask a teacher or counselor to write a letter of recommendation, they are getting that request from a number of students. They're, we already know they're already very busy. So um, make it easier for the teacher to write that for you. Um, from you know the letter itself standpoint, from teachers and counselors, we kind of want to see the character of the student. Yes, it's important. Um, that, that student did well in that teacher's course, but we also want to know a little bit about the student's character as well, and that's a good opportunity to do that. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Barth. And can you explain what opportunities Clemson University offers students that may have had an IEP while in high school in terms of helping to ensure that they continue to be successful once they're on your campus? 
Yeah, John, excellent question. I appreciate you asking that because it's a it's a different uh, ball game, so to speak, when a student transitions from high school um, to college. Um, so we have an office dedicated to serving students with disabilities, and it's called Student Accessibility Services. They work with students on getting their documentation in place, contacting their faculty, uh, getting all of their accommodations in place. The difference between high school and college is at the college level, we are not allowed to inquire if a student has a disability. Um, therefore, it's up to the student to reach out to the team at Student Accessibility Services and start that relationship. We cannot put the question on the application. We cannot ask during orientation. All we can do is promote uh, the services we have, and it's up to the student to self-identify that they have a disability. Otherwise, we're not in compliance with the law. I would recommend that students reach out to that office as soon as they are admitted. What I really like about the office here at Clemson, and as opposed to other disability resource centers I've worked with, is not only do they make sure students are aware of the services that that office can provide for them, but they are constantly promoting the academic support services and student support services that are available to all students on campus. They make sure that their population they're working with is aware that they have support all across campus and not just in that office. Well, we really appreciate that, Dr. Barth. And this has been a tremendous conversation. And by the way, I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions in the show notes. Dr. Barth, if there's anything else that you want to provide the students and their parents, just send it to me. And of course, I'll make it available in the show notes. Dr. Barth, like I said, this has been fantastic. Unfortunately, it leads us to our last question, which is, <laughs> What are your top three pieces of advice you would provide students and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Yeah, John, the first piece of advice is to start the process of discussing college early. I'm talking about 10th grade. The earlier the conversation can begin, the less stressful the college search process will be down the road um, for families. It needs to be an ongoing and open dialogue, including the students' early thoughts and what they think they're interested in, and the parents asking questions about the students' interest, what courses they've enjoyed, uh, where have they been successful, what career interests do they have. Even at that point, we all know it's probably going to change, but start having those conversations. Then as the student gets to their junior year, it gets a little more tricky, and parents really need to be open and honest about issues such as what the family can afford, are the parents okay with the student going out of state, are they expecting the student to stay local or at least in-state, I've seen too many times a student get admitted to a school and then the parents tell them they can't afford that school. That conversation should have happened before, you know, the, their, their student applied to that institution. Um, second, many students ignore the emails, letters, brochures that we all send out to them and so forth. And I understand that. Um, I would recommend as they start receiving those to take some time to quickly review that email, quickly look at that brochure. If there's something about that school that might spark your interest, make a list. I'm not saying do anything with it right away, but start making a list of those schools and pick a set time each week, such as Saturday morning, say 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and just go to each of those schools' websites. And typically students start receiving this information, you know, beginning of 11th, their junior year, 11th grade. And while they're getting close to having to make some difficult decisions, it's still a time that they can do this in a very relaxed manner. Go to the website, see if there's anything about the school that interests them. And that's kind of how they can learn about institutions that might not be on their radar. And then third is once a student has their selection down to the colleges they feel they want to attend, 
reach out to the admissions counselor for their territory and start building that relationship early. You know, we talked about that earlier in the podcast, but it is critically important. And the reason for that is it will help the student when they are then deciding where to attend because they already have built that relationship with the um, university admissions counselor, recruiter, whatever term the school has for that person. And then they can ask questions about the likelihood of them getting a scholarship and things that are going to be very important in the family making that decision. So those would be my kind of looking um, from the 30,000 foot level. Those would be my three pieces of advice. Well, those are tremendous pieces of advice, Dr. Barth. I really appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy, as I know that this is going to help so many students and their parents as they navigate through the process. I really hope to have you again, Dr. Barth. This was awesome. Thanks, John. Anytime. Be glad to. All right. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.